Hello and welcome to the Thriving Three Counties podcast with me, Dan Barker. Conversations with inspiring business people throughout the three counties of Herefordshire, Worcestershire and Gloucestershire. And now it's time for today's episode. I hope you enjoy the show. Okay, hello and welcome to this episode of the Thriving Three Counties podcast. I'm Dan Barker and I'm here in the studio with today's guest. He was recognised in the 2020 Honours List for his work with an MBE. He's a medical doctor who spent most of the last decade splitting his time between delivering primary care in the UK and emergency and humanitarian care in the developing world. He has an interest in efficient workplace systems and enjoys applying lessons learned from operating in austere environments to the workplace. His passion for uncoupling traditional ways of working and using technology to improve accessibility and diversity and remove barriers to the workforce has developed into the initial concept for his company, Giant. He believes in a future of decentralised education and employment and hopes such movements will resolve inequalities and opportunity on a global scale. He is Jack Miles. Hi, Jack. All right, Dan, thanks for having me in. How are you doing? Yeah, very good, thanks. Good, thank you very much for coming in, appreciate it, because uh, you've got a lot going on, and uh, <laughs> appreciate the time. <laughs> uh, before we get started, your best website for you is thegiantapp.com. That's correct, yeah, that's the yeah. Uh, sort of initial launch uh, webpage for our uh, our new venture. Excellent, okay. And uh, does everyone ask you, are you going to take the the out of it at some point, like Facebook? <laughs> As soon as I can afford to buy Giant.com, I probably will. <laughs> that was that thing, wasn't it, in that film about Facebook? Uh, how was it? I can't remember who it was now. Some One of the big guys like came in and said, drop the the, because they had the Facebook.com initially, didn't they? And, uh, and now they've dropped everything. Was, now they've dropped everything. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Less is more. Just keep dropping yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Cool. Um Excellent. Well, um, first thing I was going to say is I, I was looking at your LinkedIn profile and I didn't realise that you started at Leeds Uni a year after me. Really? The yeah. mighty Leeds? That's true, yeah. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Studied up north. And yeah, if it wasn't for family and, and business, probably would have stayed up there. Yeah, yeah it's a nice part of the world, isn't it? Oh, stunning. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Enjoy it up there. I know. I think it's got a little bit of everything, hasn't it? A bit of city and then right on the doorstep of, of the... Uh, uh, North York Moors and the and the Dales as well. It's amazing. Yeah, so I do. I guess you're up there for how long were you up there for? Like, is it seven years or something? Uh, almost six years in the six end. Six years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah but I loved every minute of it. Living in Hyde Park and that area. Living in Hyde Park. Yeah, yeah. doing the Otley Run. Nice. <laughs> every week. <laughs> Staying classy, as you can imagine. <laughs> nice. I like it. Yeah, yeah a few yeah. fancy dress options that perhaps in the current world I may not have worn, but uh, but back then <laughs> seemed seemed acceptable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember meeting the old medical student and uh, yeah, nutters. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> basically. And and then. Your lives are now in their hands. So. Well, yeah. <laughs> Worked hard and played hard, I think. From I, think I think like anything in life, if you work hard enough, you need some way to unwind. Yeah, um, yeah. I just perhaps do it in slightly healthier ways now. <laughs> yeah, that's it, isn't it? Yeah, thankfully. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, indeed. Good. So, um, yeah, I, 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 if it's all right, I'm going to start from the top in a way. And I just want to ask you about this uh, MBE. The reason is that I had someone else on who had an MBE. Sorry, the second MBE. Oh, person okay. but i mentioned it in the uh, intro and i completely forgot to ask them about it oh no not so, at all. um i don't know what's the story uh, what's the story there i mean what, what oh, so i was fortunate enough back in uh 2019 and 2020 to to go overseas uh, out to the middle east and do a little bit of work um providing kind of emergency response care to um uh, to the people that had been affected by conflict out there. Um, okay. We were one of the sort of first organisations into the area and, and as such had quite a high volume, high burden of work. Um, I like to think that we we were kind of best placed to to give everybody there the, the best chance of receiving high quality medical care that perhaps wasn't available due to the, I suppose, the the state of the, the national infrastructure um, mm-hmm. at the time for, for various reasons. Um, and you know, alongside the team I was working with, uh, I think we ended up treating oh, almost 500 um, sort of significantly injured people, uh, right. casualties. Right. Um, 
and uh, and I like to think that we we gave them you know the a level of care equivalent to that that you'd get back here uh, mm-hmm. in the NHS um, certainly far far above what they would have received otherwise you know I guess it's one of those things isn't it where um you know like a lot of kind of NGOs or charity ventures you kind of wish that you didn't have to mm-hmm. um, yeah yeah and, and it's a kind of, I suppose it's a bit of a thing that you wrestle with in terms of, you know, was I happy to be there and, and have a chance to use the skills that I'd have? Or was actually, was it a sort of, I suppose, a bit of a, uh, a bit of a shame to have to be there in the first place? But, mm. you know, I guess, I guess it comes down to, you know, if someone, if, if it has to happen, then, then you want to be there and you want to, to do your little bit for, for whoever you can and to make that small difference. Um, mm. and, and we were able to. Um, and then, you know, I suppose on the back of that, a few people may have heard about it and, um, and, uh, and nominated me, which, which you know, I was very proud to, uh, to, to receive the MBE on the back of. Yeah, um, but, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we just need to wait for the ceremonies to get back into place now and then get to the palace and <laughs> make the most She's of it. She's going to have a backlog, isn't she, of parties? <laughs> I know, poor thing. She must be the hardest work. I mean, speaking of work hard, play hard, yeah, yeah, yeah. she must be the hardest working person in the nation, honestly. She yeah, yeah. consistently yeah. amazes me. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And um, so so looking at when you started uni, I'm guessing you're kind of like mid-30s or something. Yeah, yeah, 35. That's, is that quite young to receive an MBA? You know what, I don't know. Because that was the first thing that struck me. I was like, I, I don't know. I always associate it with people that have, yeah, perhaps been going a lot, a lot longer in their careers. So I was like, wow, that's uh, pretty cool. Hey, maybe well, I guess I'll find out when I uh, when I go and I look around. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're people the mistake me person. for for bar staff or something. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Um, perhaps, but yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I think I think I was just. In, in a position where I was fortunate enough to be able to do what I was doing um, yeah, yeah, yeah. In, at the right place at the right time to, to have that or to, to make that difference I guess yeah yeah and, and cool. for someone to kind of think well might as well give him something yeah well I, I won't dwell on it because I can see you're very <laughs> humble about it as I expected you probably would be <laughs> so um you said family and everything did you grow up around this way then uh, is that why you came back here after uni or so I've, I've kind of grown up all over the place, really. My, my dad was one of those dads that kind of fleeted between various different jobs. So we ended up moving. I think, I was, well, I was born in Surrey. We moved to South Wales for a lot of time. Mm-hmm. Moved to the Midlands. Um, moved to oh, home counties and then out to Belgium for a while. Okay. Lived in right. a couple of places in Belgium, uh, which, was, which was kind of, I think, fantastic as a child growing up. And then, uh, and then my parents currently live near the Midlands. Um, and my wife's a teacher and, and had a... Right. Um, a job down there and you know fortunately as a young junior doctor it's it's pretty easy to kind of jump into any sort of trust mm-hmm. and, and serve your your kind of first few years so and ended up moving back down to the midlands right okay okay and then so so out of uni that was the kind of route was it straight into working as a junior doctor yeah yeah i think i, I spent my first shift ever as a doctor as um, one of the only doctors in a in a hospital on a night shift, um, really? and running around the wards like a mad person, just begging nurses to help me <laughs> do what I was meant to be doing. Um, fortunately, yeah, fortunately they were very kind and probably <laughs> looked down on me with some sympathy. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine that's uh, quite a baptism of fire. <laughs> yeah, anyway, thankfully, I don't think it happens anymore. I think people are a little bit more protected, but yeah, <laughs> back in the day, it was but, okay. Certainly learnt, learnt your hard lessons early on. And did you, is that always what you wanted to do when you were a kid growing up, um, medical? Not, no, not really. Stuff. Not really. No. It was kind of one of those strange ones where uh, I never really knew what I wanted to do. I yeah. knew that I didn't want to work in an office and I knew that I wanted to do something, I suppose, where I interacted with people, but just didn't really know what. And I was always, I always found an interest in sciences and biology in particular, I guess. So, uh mm-hmm. It ended up being one of those sort of natural progressions, really, when you know, you're talking to careers advisors at college and you're getting your <laughs> grades, and then I, well, you should really think about this. I'm like, oh, it looks all right. <laughs> uh, looks a bit of fun. Uh, you know, watch a bit of house and a bit of VR, and you're like, actually, yeah, that could work for me. Um, and then, yeah, went through all the applications and the interviews and all that sort of stuff, and yeah, it, all, it all came off in the end. Yeah, yeah. And were you pretty, pretty good at school then in terms of getting the grades and everything? I think like most boys, I think I was pretty bad when I was younger. Um, right, yeah. And then and then as you get a little bit older and into, into sixth form, you actually realise that 
you know, if you want to, if you want to get ahead, or, or certainly want to get a bit of a head start in the world, then um, then, then you needed some some sort of qualification, and then uh, and then kind of knuckled down. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Fortunately, went to a pretty pretty decent college in uh, in uh, Midlands, and and they helped me out. So yeah, it all came off in the end. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. Good. So you, yeah. So the last, as we said in the, the intro, the last ten years, then you've obviously been working in the medical profession, and uh, you know had a, a an interesting career and, and everything with all of that but mm. you've developed this this interest in something else should we say yeah. at the moment and that, that's kind that's of it. led you into um kind of more of an entrepreneurial kind of journey so what were your first because i think were you doing something else before giant as a business am i right in thinking um uh, so we've always had a bit of a consultancy or, or over recent times had a little bit of a consultancy where we um uh, help apply the lessons that that me and, and one of my colleagues have learned uh, in sort of working in extreme environments to to help companies develop products and services aimed at those but um yeah. one thing that we found on our on our recent trip was that it was a real struggle to kind of maintain all of the necessary professional competencies, governance and all that sort of stuff, which, you know, despite being in the middle of nowhere, um, in, in the middle of a kind of dirty desert or, or a bombed out building, uh, you're still expected to maintain, you know, pretty basic um, uh, mandated competencies yeah. uh, and accessing those even in the UK was a bit of a pain because you're jumping between maybe three or four different systems to try to complete these download a certificate, print off a certificate, give it to someone in HR who can then put it in a folder that gets lost somewhere or update it onto an Excel spreadsheet, which then <laughs> at some point gets corrupted and you need to re- resubmit everything or redo it. And it was, all, it was all a little bit of a nightmare back in the UK. Let alone when you're away and you've got limited connectivity or, um, or access to your passwords and systems and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> So me and uh, me and a colleague out there were kind of spitballing about, you know, how could we make this more efficient? And, and I've always kind of had a bit of an interest in finding efficiencies in the way that we work. And, okay, you yeah. know, I think we're, we're now kind of in, in many kind of businesses, in many systems, got to the place where, where we are looking for marginal gains. And, and we've trained our guys. We've got them on the best courses. We've got them on the best um, training pathways. But in terms of tinkering to find the most efficient way, whether that's kind of cost or or output um, to achieve our effects, we need to now start to look at, at how we do things rather than just what we're doing or what we're able to do. Um, so going back to the, the, the training thing, we, we realize that you know a lot of this could be automated and, and we see it in a lot of other um, sectors that, that actually if we could access this training, if we could log it automatically uh, or it could be logged automatically, it could be updated on a central database that us, our employer, could see if we could, you know, access it all on one system, or perhaps if we could have a bit more breadth of, of um, options in terms of how we how we complete or, or tick off these boxes, uh, that would be a better way to go about things. And that kind of started it. And then, as we were doing that, COVID kicked off back in the UK, mm-hmm. um, and suddenly loads of people found themselves or found themselves rather working remotely perhaps not quite as austere as we were but certainly working remotely and also needing to access training but perhaps this time it was inductions and and onboarding into new businesses that maybe had never seen these people before maybe they weren't even in the same country yeah I've, I've, i've heard that from several people like onboarding people during the last 18 months has been yeah. really hard because as you say they never met them exactly and they've got to somehow get them up to speed and where yeah. you'd normally just be sitting next to them and Mm. training them up <laughs> and and i think what comes with that is this big paradigm shift in how we manage our work people but how, how we trust them and, and allow them to get on with their job remotely without this sort of constant supervision and, and oversight um so we then started thinking about well you know, perhaps more people could use this than, than purely us in our little organization away and, and started to expand the the project to to allow other businesses to bring on their own team members either that were that were kind of in in office or working remotely or asynchronously and allow them to access um, training, allow them to access onboarding material, meeting recordings, and, and all this sort of stuff to really allow anybody anywhere working any hours to access the same training and for it all to be automatically logged by the company um, uh, so that governance boxes were all ticked off, 
Um, mm. And when it came to annual reviews, all that information was available to you. And, and it, you know, really trying to remove additional or, or extra workflows or, or work, work kind of requirements and, and mean that people could do this sort of stuff perhaps on their commute or, or in a spare time, uh, spare few uh, moments in the day um, and, and free up their free time so that it is indeed free and they could spend a bit more time doing things they enjoy, spending time with their family and that sort of thing. Just making right, the work okay. day a bit more efficient, I guess. Okay. okay. Um, and then <laughs> just to kind of round that one off. And then the further iteration with this was the other kind of sector that, that, that approached us and we were talking to was... Um, were those involved in uh, in the sort of creative arts, so performance, music, um, dance, and that sort of thing, who obviously during the pandemic had a really rough time of it. You know, mm. Thankfully now are somewhat back on their feet, but are still saying that, that it's very difficult for them to, um, to push out recorded material or hybrid performances um, to a, an audience and in a way that, that makes it a sort of sustainable um, business move. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they can stick it out on YouTube for free or they can stick a load of ads in it and, and maybe they'll make a little bit of money from that. But it's it's a little bit unpredictable. It's a bit unsustainable. Um, and looking to see if the same sort of technology we had for the business side of the platform could also be applied in a social way. Um, and then that led to sort of giant platform itself being being created where uh, where I suppose any any creator um, can make a channel, can push out material, but instead of it being ad-based and, and us harvesting data and selling it to ad companies, we, we do away with all of that. And we just allow the creators themselves to work in a much more directly transactional manner. So mm-hmm. either selling videos on a pay-per-view basis or um, selling subscriptions to their channels and their channels alone. Um, right, okay, yeah, yeah. And um, what we hope that does is, is create nice tight close communities of passionate viewers creating sustainable revenue for our creators and and allowing that sort of creative movement educational movements to kind of blossom on on this platform okay okay right so i've talked loads so, there haven't i no it's no like... that's good that's good <laughs> <laughs> so i'm just going to take a couple of steps back yeah uh, just to ask you before we get into yeah more more about the systems and everything what you know because you're you're out there working doing your job and everything and then you sort of think to yourself I'm going to start a consultancy or you know mm. I'm going to start this platform more of a sort of entrepreneurial kind of you yeah. know take on things do you know where that kind of came from like why you know because because a lot of people would just think oh I wish this was a bit better and then <laughs> yeah. maybe say something maybe not but probably carry on with what they're doing or try and get a different mm. job or something um so what 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 made you go in that direction, do you reckon? Yeah, it's a good, good question. And I think a really relevant one to, I suppose, certainly public sector workers, right. like, like doctors. But I think you could also expand that to teachers, nurses and people as well. That mm-hmm. I think we're, we're so in the system that sometimes it's quite difficult to see how the system could be. Um, okay. and taking that slightly more sort of outside-in view of it. Mm-hmm. I suppose I was really fortunate to work in a couple of organisations that have a very proactive manner to improving themselves. Okay, um, right. And, and when you work within organisations that have such attitudes, I think it is quite infectious, and you start mm-hmm. to see things, and you know, where, where perhaps previously I would have just grumbled and said, yeah. well, this is really annoying. Why do I need to fill in this spreadsheet 10 times to, to kind of achieve this output? Thinking, well, how this is annoying. How could it be improved better? Or how could it be improved? Okay. How could it be made better? Yeah. How could it be more efficient? Um, and then, you know, working with some, some really inspirational colleagues who, who help you then see w- sort of what routes you could take to, to make that a reality. But okay. I think it just, it just starts, I think, with having an attitude amongst an organization that when things are not perfect, never accepting them okay. and always yeah. having that attitude of how could we improve this? How could we yeah. improve this? And it may be that the, I suppose the solution to improve them doesn't exist yet mm-hmm. or isn't currently possible with today's technology, but having it in your head and striving as close to that as possible, I think will continue to push the boundaries of, of your own organization, but, but hopefully kind of the work, working environment on a mm. much broader basis as well. 
Is that um, is that what I've heard described as intrapreneurial? Is that the right terminology for that, where organisations encourage people within the organisation to do exactly what you're saying and try to improve things? Yeah, I think it's been called a few things. I think <laughs> intrapreneurial, I quite like. I've not heard that, but I like that. Um, <laughs> I may have that wrong. Right. I think that was it. Something like that. Um, yeah, I've also heard of kind of companies having their own internal startup cultures or startup yeah. cells, um, and they're given a budget and a, and a time frame to address a key problem. And, uh, and the resources to spin up the solution. Um, and, uh, you know, I think this is really kind of forward-leaning organizations now, uh, like you say, have these kind of entrepreneurial people or, or um, uh, sort of executive entrepreneurs that, that they will bring in to kind of lead these changes, identify these sort of pain points and find solutions. Um, yeah. And you're starting to see them now with, uh, that, that will spin them up internally and then spin out the mm. the kind of the solutions to them um, and, and broaden the uh, the scope of the company as a whole. Yeah, Google's sort of famed for that, aren't they? Like giving yeah, their employees yeah. what is it, ten percent of their hours each week to work on projects. And I understand Gmail came out of one of those projects. Didn't really, it? it's interesting because yeah. I know the Google. Yeah, they'll, they will also do. Um, they'll also give give employees some equity in those solutions that they uh, right, spin out okay. as well, which which I think is a really nice way of fostering that culture um, yeah, rather yeah. than it being, well, why am I wasting my time and energy doing this <laughs> when, when you know, I could uh, I could leave the company, frankly, and spin up the same same solution and, and yeah. do it myself. Um, okay, so they'll actually set that up as a separate kind of company under the umbrella. Exactly, yeah. Company yeah, yeah, or a separate the... product or uh, or brand anyway. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that part of it. That's uh, really interesting, yeah. And it keeps the, I suppose, the intellectual, um, that intellectual mass within within the company itself, which which kind of makes perfect sense as a yeah. sort of self-sustaining company that also continues to evolve and, and push the boundaries. Yeah, yeah. So I guess, like, and you probably answered some of this question already, but thinking about it in terms of, like, smaller businesses, you know, even like myself with one mm. full-time person and other people listening who may have a few members of staff, I'm just thinking about how we can, like, create that culture mm. ourselves, you know, because you think, oh, well, Google can afford it kind of thing. I've heard yeah. people say that, you know, it's all right for them. They're earning billions. They can give their staff 10% of their time to do mm. that, but I'm sure there's ways... We can do it as well on a smaller scale. Yeah, and I think innovation doesn't have to be necessarily making a new product from scratch. It could be innovation could be as simple as bringing in something that already exists out there. Uh-huh. Um, whether that's whether that's something like a, a technological platform or whether that's just simply a way of working um, mm-hmm. and bringing that in and trialing it and mm-hmm. and having the the guts as a company to accept that most of the things that you bring in will fail. Yeah, <laughs> but seeing that failure as a success in itself, um, yeah. and just to kind of, I suppose, move slightly off off track, but I'll come back to it. Yeah. I think too many people see failure as as the end point, um, yeah, and, and see it as a devastating thing, and yeah. <laughs> and you know this kind of pursuit of, of perfection this pursuit of excellence really can only happen through through failure um, mm. you know science itself is is working to find out what fails mm. and then by default what is left must be true um, and, and I think the same can be applied within a within a business as well that, that if you try enough things and enough things fail what you will be left with or what you do discover to be successful um, will, will really drive you will drive the advancement of your company yeah, like I said, yeah. it doesn't need to be expensive and it doesn't need to take up a hell of a lot of time. But I think it just needs that attitude that if mm. we find something that, that isn't perfect, that could be improved, let's try some things to improve it and accept that we're probably going to waste some hours or we're probably going to waste a small amount of cash doing that. But the potential benefits to our company could be um, exponentially greater. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, I mean, yeah, that few things there then like that, that <laughs> thing of failure I mean I often feel and maybe rightly or wrongly like it's we're kind of taught that from a young age mm. you know in terms of our school you know you have to yeah. get have to get 100% on your tests and everything and everyone's trying to get right all the time and if you get it mm. wrong it feels like you said mm. like it's all over kind of thing so I mean to me I feel like that's where we need to try and put that right a bit yeah I mean Getting me started on the the concept of centralized 
uh, state-driven <laughs> curriculums and education is, is a whole other topic. But, yeah, um, no, I want to get onto that, definitely. <laughs> I, um, no, I, I agree with you, Dan, that whether it's, you know, increasingly we see multiple choice questions in, um, in, in schools because, let's face it, they're, they're really easy to make and they're really easy to mark automatically. But yeah. what you have with the multiple choices are right and a wrong. Mm. I think when you start to look at things like essay-based questions where there is a supposed perfect and a supposed awful but within that there's more scope i think perhaps that is a better way to look at how we assess our, our children but also yeah. allowing um, allowing people to veer off the the curriculum or, or explore areas that perhaps are, are related but not specifically mandated within that curriculum i think that shows uh, that shows a proactivity that shows a kind of thirst for knowledge and, and, mm. and a flexibility in learning that that we should encourage yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, no, you're right. I think we, we come from a background, especially in this country, but I think you can probably see it in many education systems where you're told when you're right and you're told when you're wrong. And if you're wrong, <laughs> you're punished for it. Yeah, yeah. Whether that's a, you know, an unhappy face sticker or whether that's a see me comment in the bottom of the book, they're all quite negative things. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, when, even in science, which, which absolutely should be encouraging people to, to find experiments that fail, that should be find uh find ways to disprove theories there's still this is the right way to do this experiment and if you don't create the blue solution at the end of it um or, or the bubbles from the the peroxide then then you failed it whereas hey, let's not let's see what else we can do with that let's see where we can take that and, and push that as hard as we can and and encourage these children to use what's around them to to discover new things and the only yeah. way they'll do that is through probably failing 10 20 30 100 times until they find something amazing yeah, and, and yeah, we, we almost like need a whole different way of assessing kids, don't we? Because, you know, I was just thinking then about the exam system and, you know, if you, if you, if you, even if you yeah. write an essay in an exam or something and you're going to get scored on it, aren't you, as a percentage or whatever, yep. and you're going to get, a, you know, 75% or something and feel like you've failed a bit, but it doesn't allow for any sort of progression and growth, does it? Because at that moment you might have failed... Mm. or failed in inverted commas but or air quotes whatever those are <laughs> and then, um, um, but then it doesn't allow for the fact that you might then improve and and get better does it so actually that method of even assessing people mm. over, you know for that and that one snapshot of time for however long the exam is three hours or something yeah seems a bit wrong doesn't it <laughs> and I think tied to that is what skills do we need our children to have both now mm. but in the future economy as well in order to succeed? And, and you know, and arguably, yes, no, right, wrong, binary um, knowledge, binary tasks by an extension of that are going to be automated mm. either through an algorithm or yeah. through robotics <laughs> because they're a hell of a lot better at creating something to a to a set pattern to the supposed perfect way every time than, than a human is yeah but we need people who who can think laterally who can think more innovatively um and find solutions to to society's problems in in a creative manner and mm. I, I do believe that creativity can be fostered and taught and, and applied to these sorts of problems. Um, mm. But I think it starts, it starts young and it starts with people playing around with ideas, theories, physical things, um, mm. and, and seeing what works, what doesn't work, what they can do, what are the limits of, of that theory or that material, mm. um, and, and how can they be applied to, to, to bridge problems? Um, yeah. and, and perhaps very simple ones at first, but as they get older, what I hope is that sort of way of thinking can be what um, will, will lead to us as a as a as a nation, I suppose, having forward-thinking thinkers, I guess, mm. yeah, yeah. Um, and the benefit that that will bring to to um, businesses, to to the uh, the economy as a whole in the future. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you you need creativity, don't you? And, and it's it's not just like going and drawing a picture or something. It's like you know, the people that start any business are being mm. creative, aren't they? Because they're literally creating something from nothing. It doesn't matter how sort of non-creative that business seems to be or something. Yeah. You know, someone's actually, like you, found a problem and tried to create a solution to it. Yeah, and I think that's, that's exactly it. I think innovation or being an entrepreneur perhaps are come with certain connotations attached to them. Um, but I think every 
kid that goes out and tries to build a slingshot and finds out that the first elastic band <laughs> they put on was too friable, the second one was too strong and broke the stick, and the third one works brilliantly. Yeah. They're, they're an entrepreneur or an innovator in their own right. Just that sort yeah. of knowledge, that sort of, um, that sort of way of, of tinkering around with problems. I suppose it's a bit like being the, uh, the kind of old British inventor in a shed. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that, that sort of, I think, that thirst to, to find solutions to problems is, is what needs to be fostered as, a, as an education system going forward. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think, like, on a real personal and, like, on a sort of micro level, I've been just spotting myself sometimes, you know, when the kids have been doing something, like, telling them how to do it kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, and so actually tempting. just trying to, yeah, it's hard though, isn't it? To yeah. just step back and just let them make that mistake. And that's hmm. on a really small scale. And then hopefully that kind of, you know, grows and, and becomes a bigger thing. But it's just those yeah, little definitely. moments that all add up, don't they? Absolutely, yeah, and yeah, I think on a much bigger scale, businesses should should let people try things and let people fail, and yeah. that should that failure should be seen as a success in its own right because that is one option mm. that we now know doesn't work. So we've we've gained knowledge there, we've yeah. gained data, mm. and you know I'm a big fan that that we make better decisions based upon the more data that we have and and data learned yeah. through real life examples real life failures is is really strong and, and will drive future better future decisions to be made in a, in a better way um yeah. and if your your organization owns that knowledge owns that data then um, then you'll be in a better place in the future to, to make better yeah. decisions that's a very good way of looking at it yeah the other example i've heard is um 3m i think you know post-it notes mm. apparently 3m had or had or has a really good um culture of letting people fail and everything. And apparently the guy was trying to invent a really sticky glue uh -huh. and he'd failed <laughs> and he'd left it on his desk and, um, you know, encouraged people to look at it. And someone picked it up and came up with the post-it note as a result. Really? Yeah. Interesting. So my dad used to work for 3M. So oh, growing really? up, my dad, uh, uh, okay. yeah, always worked for, for 3M and then bounced around a couple of other companies in the interim. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it was, was always, you know, had that kind of uh, that attitude of of playing around with things, being that in the kind of in the shed or or at home to to see what worked. Right. Okay. Um, so I guess yeah, maybe that's an, another example, a more kind of home example of uh, <laughs> uh, of of how a, an organisation can foster um, a kind of a lifelong attitude in someone. Yeah, yeah, interesting. And then pass it down to the kids. Like yeah, you. yeah, maybe so. <laughs> <laughs> All seems to uh, fit into place. Now, <laughs> Excellent. Um, just before we move on, uh, have you read a book called uh, Mindset by Carol Dweck? No, no, go on. You, I think you would love that. It's about kind of growth mindset and everything. Uh -huh. She actually apparently coined the term mindset originally. But um, yeah, it's a brilliant awesome. book. I read it recently and I was just like, wow, that's the kind of key to all this stuff that we're talking about, I think, to changing your yeah the way you look at things but, um. the big one for me i think was um thinking in bets by oh, yeah. annie duke um, okay. write that down. who uh who, who applies her experience of playing poker mm -hmm. to um real world decisions okay. and delves into how we need to accept that luck is a factor in any decision we have Okay. Um, but equally the kind of importance of learning from uh, decisions that haven't worked out particularly well okay, and not yeah. beating yourself up when you fail, um, yeah. which, you know, I, 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 would, I suppose one of my big failings is that I am that sort of person who is, is naturally inclined to beat oneself up if, if you don't do as well as you think you should do. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and actually trying to change your thinking around to say, you know what, I didn't do it so well that time, but... What I have learned is all this really useful information about why I didn't do so well that last time. So next yeah. time I can apply that and I can change my way of thinking or my decisions or my actions to, to hopefully get a better output. Yeah, but also accepting yeah. that, you know what, sometimes you can make all the best decisions in the world for you, know, you your company, your family, whatever. But, uh, but ultimately luck at some point has a role to play and it might just be <laughs> that you were unlucky that time. So... You know, yeah, yeah. try and decipher the role that luck plays, take the lessons that are left and um, and hopefully apply them to uh, to your future decisions. Yeah, it's an interesting one, luck, isn't it? Because uh, like in like the example I always use in photography, like I see people that, you know, on some of the online groups, I'm in mm. and things like that here, 
you know, take an amazing picture and someone says, you know, you're really lucky to get that. Or that they say, I was lucky to get this shot. And you're like, you weren't lucky because you've been out with your camera Mm. and you've gone to that place and you may have been there for like a few hours and you've actually put in the effort to produce the luck. You know, like that saying, like, uh, the the harder I work, the luckier I get sort of thing. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's true, yeah. Like, what did I see the other day? It always always plays a string with me, but uh, the, the Northern Lights... Oh, yeah, and yeah. I saw someone's picture on the Northern Lights. They were like, oh, 10th time lucky for getting this shot. I was like, <laughs> you've been out there 10 times. That's yeah. not luck. You yeah. just grafted. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's hard work, isn't it? But, uh, yeah. Well, um, right, we should move on. We went on a bit of a, a good tangent there. I enjoyed that. Um, decentralized education, uh, <laughs> especially, yeah. Yeah. especially given that we both went to the same university and everything. I'm interested yeah. to hear your views on... Well, what you mean by by that, I suppose, and why why you're focusing in on it and its relevance mm. to, I suppose, particularly universities um, at the moment. Yeah, yeah. My big thing about this, I suppose, is that we live in a world where, where we cannot deny that some people are privileged by virtue of where they're born or, um, I suppose, the, the socioeconomic surroundings of their upbringing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that confers significant benefits in terms of the education that people receive, the qualifications they receive, and then as an output of all of that, how they live their own life, the kind of the way that they uh, um, can succeed in, in the kind of, in the working world. Um, and I think what's, what's really clear to me now, having worked in sort of several of these places where you know whether that's a refugee camp or whether that's a, a conflict zone or um or middle of the sort of east african bush where people don't have these sorts of um these sorts of advantages is that you still have incredibly bright people mm. their base intelligence is no different wherever you are in the world mm. you know, and that's i think that's just a, a fundamental <laughs> fundamental <laughs> truth of of um of human evolution yeah um but what does differ is their their opportunity yeah. Um, we are lucky in the UK to have an exceptional school system, um, as are you know many of our Western European, US, Canadian, etc. Um, colleagues. But um, you know, I would argue that if you took a child from anywhere in the world and you gave them those sorts of opportunities, um, they would also flourish and they would mm-hmm. also do well and they would also become um, everything that they could be. Mm-hmm. What I want to see and what I think is really archaic at the moment is that to learn lessons at school and to pass exams, you need to go into a building, you need to sit down in a class of 30, you need to look at a board and you need to listen to what the teacher is telling you. And then at the end of a block of six weeks, 12 weeks or whatever, you sit an exam. And if you've remembered enough of what that (laughs) teacher has written on that board, then you pass that exam and that confers some sort of recognition of, of what you've learned and as you collect more and more of these like badges as you yeah. go through your education system and then at some point you cash those in and then a company <laughs> looks at them and says you know what yep you've ticked enough boxes i'm going to take you on and you know i'm oversimplifying it but um no no i i, I know exactly what you mean I, i've often said to people like that i with the exams and stuff i worked out a system of how to pass the exams like you know yeah. I did pretty well at GCSEs little mm. less at A level pretty good in my degree but I worked out a system you know like I'd do the course for those weeks yeah. like you said and then I, I had a system of like cramming essentially for two weeks where yeah. I'd schedule everything I'd learn it all yeah, yeah. I'd do the past exam papers which is ridiculous because yeah. they're all the same, same questions, questions yeah. that you're going to get <laughs> you'd practice those you'd do the exam and then you'd yeah. come out and you'd be like what the hell did I just do? You know what, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then instantly purge that information, <laughs> yeah, ready to exactly. take on the next term, which exactly. will be entirely unrelated. Exactly. Yeah, I know. Exactly. Um, and and I think the other weird thing is that we're still in this situation where your educational experience, even even within the UK, is based upon what teacher happens to live nearest to you <laughs> to to teach in your school, and happens yeah. to be assigned to your class. Yeah. And I think we can all think of exceptional teachers that we've had yeah. and teachers that, that you've probably forgotten about because they were, they were almost irrelevant to your learning and you pretty much self-taught anyway. <laughs> um, and, and I think we now live in a world, surely, where 
you can, we, we could, through technology, enable any child anywhere in the world to access the same, probably the same teacher sat in front of you with a, a version of a whiteboard talking to you in a version of a <laughs> curriculum. Um, but that teacher could be the best teacher in the world. They could be an exceptional mm. teacher, a world leader, and they could deliver that lesson to you. And it doesn't matter if they're delivering it to one person or they're delivering it to 100,000 kids. It's, it's, it's infinitely scalable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that would mean that any child anywhere in the world could access that lesson, that mm. curriculum, that, that semester. And at the end of it, could equally sit an exam. I don't know why we need to sit in person in exam halls and, and fill in exams still. It seems completely archaic. Mm. Um, the the idea that you should have to remember information to pass an exam. <laughs> Why wouldn't you use the wealth of information in the world around you to pass that exam? And and you know, going back to an earlier thing, I think the exam system needs to change because sure you can cheat if it's a yes no answer, but yeah. how do you cheat if it's you sat down applying your knowledge in an innovative way to tackle a problem related to that um, subject matter that you've been taught? Mm. It's it's almost impossible to cheat. Um, so, uh, you know, what I think this then unearths is any, a child perhaps in, in a Middle Eastern refugee camp displaced by war, perhaps doesn't have any parents, could mm. pass these, say, or sit these same lessons, assuming that they have access to a smartphone, which from personal experience, almost everybody does wherever you are in the world now. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and access to decent 5G. And, you know, and I think that is something that probably does need to evolve, is how do we get ubiquitous 5G access to, to the world? Um, and then they could sit at the end, equally tech-enabled exam, mm. receive a, um, a, 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 an exam certificate, perhaps using um, the same technology as, uh, as crypto, so um, using that sort of attributable um, uh, a technology to assign a and a, a qualification to that individual. Mm -hmm. um, and they could take that with them and they could show that to employers anywhere in the world. Mm. And an employer in the world might say, yeah, you know, I want to use you as a digital marketer. I understand that you live in Soweto, but, mm. uh, you know, and we're a company based in Seattle. Mm. That doesn't really matter because I've seen the quality of what you can do and I've seen who you are and how innovative you are as a person. I value your, you, I value you, uh, mm. you know, you have your intrinsic value um, and I will employ you. Mm -hmm. And that then decentralizes both education, decentralizes the workforce, means that any company in the world can, can access high quality individuals. And we know how difficult it is at the moment to get hold of good quality people, certainly in, in the tech industry, yeah. but, but wider as well, you know, engineering and otherwise. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and throws opportunity out to, to all reaches of the world and brings everybody up. Mm -hmm. There really is no, no particular downside to it yeah. other than... Homegrown education systems are going to need to evolve and move out of their Victorian buildings and start to start to kind of think think future. Yeah, yeah. and then you know we think we're, then we start to kind of talk about things like the metaverse and all that sort of stuff going perhaps a decade into the future, and and then you've got kids with VR goggles um, or AR goggles um, sat down and they're sat in these sort of auditoriums classes. They're walking around the prehistoric world with a teacher that's showing them things, and again, yeah. infinitely um, scalable. And, and infinitely more engaging than, than the education system we have now um, that really shows no signs of particular evolution. Um, mm, yeah, yeah. The downside, I guess, is that, that universities are incredibly powerful lobbying <laughs> beasts, certainly in the States, um, but, but yeah. also in the UK as well. Um, right, and it, is that right? Yeah. It's within their, I suppose, within their uh, interests to uh, to keep people sat on seats and, and paying to go to them. So they're, you know, mm. they're, they're a conflicting. Is there, do movement. you think there's, um, I may be going too far, but is there, do you think there's kind of a, a, a possibility that even governments or, you know, within countries would want to keep the education within that country because they're worried about competition, you know, with other countries? Yeah, I mean, I suppose we have seen this to a degree, haven't we, with um, certainly Chinese uh, students in the US. Um, and are you, through training foreign students, um, losing the sort of intellectual mass of your own nation and, and losing that to, to competing nations? And is that an area 
of, I suppose, national security concern. Um, and, um, and certainly there's reports of, of professors um, in the UK, in, in the US, being recruited through these students and bringing them back to the US. So I think there probably is a worry that you do lose that to a degree. Um, but, yeah, my, my argument is that the, there is a greater benefit in increasing the opportunity to millions of people mm. in nations that are otherwise intrinsically unstable anyway mm. and may themselves pose a national security yeah, risk. Yeah, if, yeah. You know, if, if their economies continue to, to have this huge polarization between the kind of the, the nations that do and the nations that do not. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And yeah, it seems like it's a lot more beneficial to, to you. I mean, not you personally, mm. I mean, to, to one, to have everyone rising, you know, like, uh, it was, what's that? <laughs> another another uh, saying, isn't it? A rising tide helps all boats kind of thing. So, I think so. And as human beings, we're here to to, to get all get along and, and help it, help everyone progress, aren't we, I suppose, rather yeah, than I th- I think that's true. trying to fight between. <laughs> yeah, I just, I, I think we... The days of going to your local school and working in your local company are are, are numbered, are over, are, mm. are are becoming extinct. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and instead, we look: who is the best person to teach me in the world? Who is the best candidate for my job globally? Mm. And and we look to we look to employ them. And who gets left behind? It's it's probably the people who are are unskilled, who are unwilling to to change or or unwilling to work. And I don't think that's the youth. I, I think. The youth of today are are intrinsically very, very malleable, very flexible, and and mm. you know, are sh- have shown that they are willing to take on new technologies and and embrace them. And you, mm. know, you only see the rise of things like Minecraft and Roblox and things like that to say, people can grasp new technology and they can get yeah. their heads around it and they can work with it. Um, and yeah. those are the youth that we need to tackle. It's it's your probably your your, your middle aged sort of generation who will struggle, um, yeah, yeah, and and do need to adapt, um, but. That's just the nature of of progression, I think. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's not everyone, is it? I mean, in that that age group, because you know there are a lot of I know people in their seventies who are you know learning and progressing just yep. as much as everyone else. It's a mindset. It Coming back mindset, to that book, right. it's a mindset thing, yeah. isn't it? And yeah, um, yeah. being willing to adapt. And I, I think it feels to me like sometimes people get as a, as you get a bit older, you start sort of. Uh, you know, going on the defense, don't you, and start to sort of hold on to what you've done, and in doing yeah. so, sort of not, yeah, not wanting to change and, and talking down people that are changing mm. and doing things differently. I think as well, it's it's just vision as well. Like, I think if we we talk to probably people even my age group, mid thirties now, and you start to talk about things like the metaverse, for example, mm. and you know, can you see people living? 80% of their waking lives in a virtual environment where they interact, where they shop, where they learn, where they work, um, and then unplugging themselves for that to for, for relatively short periods of time to interact with people in the real world, if at all. And that right. probably seems a really foreign concept. And certainly, you know, I find it quite a foreign concept yeah. because that's, not, that's nothing that I've ever done. Um, yeah. But conversely, you talk to kids, you know, like... My, my own son, who, who's seven years old, and he's quite happy to sit down, play Minecraft and chat with people for, for hours on end. He'd do it all day if I didn't take it off him and, and made him go outside and, and play with sticks and mud and eat worms and things. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's already happening. Yeah. It's just surreptitiously creeping up on us, that sort of change. And unless yeah. you're in it, unless you're of the age where you see this as... Uh, and, and the value that it brings, it's a really difficult one to get your head around. Yeah, um, so yeah. I don't think it's that even that people are unwilling to change or it's a different attitude. I think it, to a degree, it's through no fault of their own, just ignorance in terms of what is out there and what is changing. And you know, I think one thing that's really important for any business is to keep abreast of what is what are the what are the seismic changes in society and how will they affect me. Mm-hmm. You know, we look at. 20 years ago and, and the internet in, in the early 90s and if you weren't a business that was moving online and having an online presence you were left behind now mm. I can't think of a single business that doesn't have a website yeah, yeah. Or, or you know some sort of way of, of, of kind of 
bringing in people through um, through a search engine. Yeah. Um, and then you know, let's look another ten years in the future. Where are we going to be? What what does the what does society look like? And where do I need to be not to be left behind? Yeah. yeah. Uh, but again, having that kind of having the balls, you know, we talked about the balls in terms of failing and innovation, all that sort of stuff. Having the balls to kind of put your money down and say, right, this is where it's going. This is how we need to change our practices now yeah. if they're going to be effective in a decade's time uh, yeah, and we're yeah. going to still be relevant. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, I mean, yes, people like you, Dan, like who, you know, in an incredibly creative industry, I think there is perhaps more protection because right. people are always going to... People are always going to need creative industries, regardless mm. of what you, whether that's to unwind and socialise, or whether that's as part of uh, the process to uh, to meet the the evolving needs of um, of society. Mm. Um, they're always going to need that. People are going to want to listen to music. People are always going to want to look at theatre and, and film. Mm. But uh, are people always going to want um, and need people to fix their internal combustion engine cars? Or are people always going to want a need um, to uh, to attend universities? You know, let's, yeah, let's yeah, think yeah. down the line and and start to sort of innovate our own practices. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so coming back to uh, you know the giant app mm. and everything, then um, you know what what's your journey been since having that you know initial idea and everything? I think you've come quite far, and I can imagine you know it's a big old project. So. Do you want to just summarise yeah. <laughs> yeah. what it does or what it's going to do and yeah, I sure. guess how you've gone about creating that, talking about creation? <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I had the initial concept, um, literally tabletopped some solutions to it. The first many solutions <laughs> just fell down because as we started talking amongst ourselves initially, some yeah. of them would die down because they were unfeasible. Technology didn't really exist. It was far, far too expensive, for example. Mm -hmm. So they died. The sort of second order ones, second phase kind of tabletops, we then mapped out, talked to people around them. A lot of those sort of failed. I'm like, okay, fine, we'll get rid of those. But the kind of core concept of what we have now um, kind of made it through. And actually, it was a much more stripped down version compared to, compared to a lot of the other initial ideas that we had. Right. And what we've basically got now is, you know, I hate to talking in terms of it's like this version of this, but I will just to kind of save going it's over like ground. It's like the Uber this. of uh, <laughs> washing machines. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but, but I suppose it is, it is a video marketplace. Um, yeah. But whereas things like YouTube um, rely on uh, adverts to, to kind of fund themselves, and that is their commerce model. And as an extension of that, your data which yeah. they then sell to ad companies. Ad companies give them cash. Uh, that's how they make their money. They then target ads at you, and they know they can do that probably better than anyone else out there, the kind of Google and Facebooks of the world. So um, you're then dri directed through algorithms certain videos that you want to watch, and then by virtue of that, the ads that are placed within them. Um, mm -hmm. we, we take a completely different... So our video marketplace on the social side of the platform is all about giving power back to the creator. And okay. rather than the ad companies being our customer, our creators are our customer. So we can build mm -hmm. the whole platform and tailor everything to their experience. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, and as I mentioned earlier, it's, it's a very similar way in YouTube in terms of people will create a channel, people can upload their videos, but that's kind of where the similarities stop. And, mm -hmm. and we want to see people using their, uh, using their channels then to directly market what we foresee to be probably higher quality or perhaps more niche or more perhaps more challenging content um, to to a global audience mm -hmm. who can then choose to either pay on a video by video basis um, or subscribe to that person's channel and, and then get the uh, access to, to all the areas all the public videos and all the subscriber only content as well mm -hmm. and, and what we hope that will do is allow um, our kind of key markets really are the creative industries, um, e-learning and, and video podcasting um, mm -hmm. to create sustainable revenue models that don't rely on ads and don't rely on them selling the data of, of their, their viewers um, and um, create 
kind of close-knit, passionate communities around them. And we've built in a lot of tools to help kind of foster that sense of community because mm -hmm. what we do feel is that people increasingly now find their communities, their belonging amongst shared interests online. Mm -hmm. um, and, and what we want to do is create that. But because we're not selling data, we can do that in a safe space. Right, okay, gotcha. Um, we also have a lot of live um, live stream content. We're really excited to be working with with a really good live stream tool um, to mean that we can we can broadcast a really good high definition video and audio, um, and that's something that's kind of missing at the moment out there. Right. So, again, speaking to our creative audiences and, and talking in particular to to the music industry to to stream big live events that can then be ticketed through the app, right. um, okay. as well as kind of um, showing backstream backstream backstage streams and that sort of thing. <laughs> Uh, and then the other side of the business, uh, or the platform rather, is Giant for Business, which, as we discussed earlier, allows businesses to onboard their people, um, add all their employees, uh, and then distribute video-based content to them, whether that's learning, onboarding, induction, mm. updates, anything really. And then just track that, that people have seen that and automatically kind of tick all their governance bits and bobs off. Mm -hmm. And then the two are kind of a bit synchronous as well in terms of businesses uh, will soon be able to buy in educational content from the social side. Mm -hmm. um, so creators can sell directly to businesses so they don't have to put together a package, for example, on um, uh, on a, you know, modern slavery or education or something like that. Mm -hmm. and, and equally, businesses themselves can market and sell their own material that they want to push out. So in particular, we're working with a, uh, a recruitment firm that wants to create a recruitment academy and then create right. that content and um, and, and sell that into the publics on the social side as well. Okay. Right. Um, so the two sides kind of work harmoniously, um, but but one caters for the business uh, environment and one caters for, um, for for the social scene. Uh, and what we really want to be seeing is this sort of nice, safe, creative community district almost um, mm -hmm. that people can go and discover new content, but but discover new communities as well and, and communities that are based around things that they really enjoy, that they're really passionate about. Um, safe in the knowledge that they they will not be force-fed ads yeah, which yeah. may compromise the, the quality or the content that's being pushed to them but also um they, they won't lose their data and, and they retain yeah, control yeah. of that uh, and we just see that as you know it's not going to replace youtube we, we are not yeah. going to be the sort of platform that you go to to, to watch endless cat videos or, uh, oh, or anything no. like that and i'm, I'm sorry <laughs> i'm sorry but you know, if if people like yourselves, Dan, are, are creating high quality uh, educational material or high quality yeah. creative material, then then that perhaps will be this place um, yeah, that, yeah. that they go. Yeah, cool. But yeah, I mean, it's a it's a it's a big project, isn't it? It's, it's a big old project. It's a big. It old sounds project. like you've kind of yeah, you've you've you know you've you had an idea for one market and then all these others have come along and it's kind of grown, I guess. Yeah. Quite a lot. How have you managed uh, that? Oh, we've been working with a really good team um, that's helped with it. But, but I think the key thing to any anything is that you come up with an idea, you trial it, and that trial right. doesn't necessarily need to be an expensive sort of prototype that's built up or MVP. That could simply be a, a tabletop discussion, or it could be a, a kind of diagrammatic representation. And then you just right. try that on people. And right. you listen to your feedback as well. And, you know, we wouldn't have had the social side of this had we not have had a lot of feedback from people like the British Arts Council uh, right. and, um, uh, and and other kind of stage schools and, and uh, dance um, studios who were really struggling at the time and mm. are still struggling and still don't have a, a solution mm. um, and, and just trying to cater for them. Um, yeah, because so the only option is to kind of put out a load of free content on YouTube and hope yeah. that you build enough uh, advertising revenue to make it work, but that takes... A couple of years or something, and, and literally <laughs> millions, millions of subscribers, which, <laughs> yeah. um, which, which for a lot of people is is really difficult. Whereas ours, yeah. if you know, just hypothesizing that if you had a a um, uh, a dance company who had perhaps five hundred or so people who were involved, uh, who were passionate about what they did, who were really interested in what they did. And they each paid, I don't know, five a fiver a month, and they had mm. access to all the interviews, behind stage stuff, videos of uh, rehearsals. Then, then that suddenly turns into quite a sustainable either side business or side revenue, or, or for somebody a, a sole revenue model that allows them to continue yeah. and then invest back into their business. Yeah, and, and yeah. brings up that 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 dance studio and brings up that industry. 
Yeah, um, yeah. So you only need relatively small numbers of people, high quality content, and, and create a kind of passionate community. So yeah. it, it's kind of it's it, it's polar ends to to YouTube's business model, or mm. certainly the business model that the creators may have, in mm. terms of we're not chasing viral clicks um, and and mm. creating that kind of homogenous content that that they know will the algorithms will serve up to people. Mm. It, it, it's very much the opposite to that, um, but it appeals to a very different audience and a very different creator as yeah, well. Yeah. Uh, and and then further down the line, there's some there's all sorts of things that we're uh, we're kind of running and, and, and um, developing and in the background and piloting in terms of moving it forward into into a more kind of uh, next generation space as well, mm -hmm. which which I'm really kind of excited to to explore in the future. Yeah, yeah, cool. That's no, exciting, exciting project. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, you work a full time job in the medical profession. <laughs> yeah, you've got this consultancy. <laughs> yeah, you've got a family. And you're developing this app. Mm. You must be pretty good at managing your schedule and time. And and I know you you're very good at like keeping fit and looking after yourself and all of that. I mean, yeah, I think that's one of those things, what, isn't it? What's, where your, what's your golden tip? <laughs> God, if, I, if I knew the golden tip, believe me. <laughs> you know, I, I think you've just got to protect periods of time in your day. I find. I think probably yeah. different things works for different people. I, I find I need an hour or two in the morning that I put aside to getting through the low demand tasks because when I wake up, I'm, I'm not a morning person, but I know oh, that not, I can really? get through email. Okay. I know I can get through email and I can reply to all my emails and I can plan any tasks that need to be done the rest of the day. Okay. Main bulk of the working day is, is my day job. Yeah. Um, but I exercise over lunch right, and, okay. and have a quick pat lunch that, that I take with me okay. um, because I just can't see how I would fill almost an hour, hour 20s worth of lunch break in the middle of the day <laughs> eating lunch. I just don't know what I would do with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so, so I squeeze my, my, my exercise in there, finish my working day, come home, obviously see the kids because they're back from school then. Uh, and then um, towards their sort of bath time, I nip off and then I have my sort of what I call my like deep thinking time where Perfect. I can put on some noise cancelling headphones and I can... And I, I work better. I know I work better in the evening in terms do, of thinking, right, and deep, okay. deep thinking stuff. So I can do that then. And I can, um, I can apply a couple of hours then just to doing any kind of real key work that needs to be done. Right. And then, you know, that does bleed over into the evening on a not infrequent basis. Um, <laughs> but then I try to kind of cut that off at some point and then just sit down with the missus and, uh, and actually have some quality time. But, but she's got her own things going on as well. And she's a very kind of entrepreneurial uh, right. woman. So kind of understands it. But uh yeah, it's by by the time the weekend comes, it's pretty exhausting. You take the weekend off, then do you generally? Do you try to? <laughs> <laughs> but again, you know, there's there's enough there's enough points in the weekend where other craziness is happening, and, yeah. and I can pull myself away, headphones on, couple of couple of hours of work, and, right, then, and yeah. then get that get that done. And you know, there are times where I need to go away to to do some consultancy stuff or or whatever, but. I think um, yeah, it's just making making the kind of the minutes count in your day that getting that value for time. Yeah, yeah. and accepting that you're not always going to keep to it. <laughs> yeah, that's it, isn't I mean, it? Sometimes yeah. it just drops, doesn't it? And it's easy to beat yourself up, isn't it? When uh, when you get to the point that uh, you know you, you've missed you've missed your point of uh, of delivery on something, but it's just life. It just happens, and yeah, and like it's, it's that's that's it, isn't it? I think it's remembering that that yeah, just because you miss something like that, it's not gonna be the end of the world yeah, is it exactly yeah <laughs> and i think that's that is somewhat of the joy of, of having your own sort of your own company your own business in that uh, that you really you know you have somewhat more control over that and, yeah. and, and of your time in particular and, and you can work a lot more flexibly and you know hopefully going forward a lot more industries will continue to work remotely asynchronously a lot more flexibly and and that will increase these opportunities for people either to use their time to have a lot more time with their family yeah, or yeah. fitness or enjoy themselves but also perhaps to explore other side interests and and you know have you said that sort of take take that kind of innovative time in, in yeah, the day yeah. to to explore other options yeah yeah 
I think uh, one of the biggest surprises, the biggest surprises for me, has been to hear that you're not a morning person. <laughs> I don't know why. I just had you down as. A <laughs> I mean, I wish I was a morning person, and I tried <laughs> so hard. I really want to be that person that gets up at five and like yeah. works out for an hour, and that's done with the day. I just can't do it. I just really? don't. I, I mean, I can do it. I can force myself to do it, but Guess, yeah, I don't get the same quality. Not, not wired that way. No, but whereas what I can do is is I can I can work quite late into the evenings without too much of a yeah. drop in. Uh, in, in a kind of output, uh, which what, isn't particularly healthy for family. What time are you in bed by then? Oh, it's about 11, half 11. Yeah. Um, and uh, up, up, yeah, at, up at six. Yeah, okay. So yeah. not particularly late. That's not like, no, it's six not is pretty late. good. Yeah, six, six is okay. I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. Get, my, get my seven hours, otherwise I get a bit grumpy. You get a bit touchy, do you? <laughs> 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 nice. Well, look, we've, uh, we've absolutely smashed through uh, an hour and five minutes of. Uh, oh, wow discussion there which has been absolutely uh, fascinating i've enjoyed all the tangents we've gone off on <laughs> yeah and stuff. sorry a lot but of tangents. no no i like it i like it that's what it's all about uh, again your website is thegiantapp.com that's right yeah little, little tip you gotta drop drop the, the. sorry i'll uh, i'll try better next time <laughs> um people can find you on linkedin of course You're yeah. pretty good on linkedin jack miles on there uh, you've put your email address down. Can I give that out? Of course, yeah, yeah, get in touch. Jack at thegiantapp.com. Yep. Anywhere else people can find you? We are currently keeping it at that for the time being, That's whilst uh, a few things are still stealthily being developed in the background. Excellent. Um, but we okay. are hoping for a, a big launch, and that will be the, a change of the website, uh, which is currently a bit of a placeholder, um, and, and a full kind of social launch um, in uh, early January to kick oh, off cool. the new year. Exciting. All right. So, yeah, I think on your website, thegiantapp.com, you can go and register your interest for Absolutely, it. Absolutely, yeah. Stick your, stick your, register your interest or, or, by all means, contact me direct. And as you can probably tell, quite happy to chat at length about almost anything. But, but in particular, Giant. I like <laughs> it. Nice. Well, yeah, no, thanks again. It's been, uh, it's been great. Oh, thanks for having me, Dan. See you soon. You've been listening to the Thriving Three Counties podcast with me, Dan Barker. You can find links to all the episodes and show notes over at danbarkerstudios.com forward slash podcast. If you've enjoyed today's show, please head over to iTunes and leave us a review. It helps other people find the show and connect more people in the region. Thank you very much for your time listening. I hope you've enjoyed it and we'll see you next time.